Hello there, my name's Pete, and this is the omnibus edition of Social Distance. <laughs> Seven seconds. Oh, good one. Now, um, hello there, my name's Pete, and this is the omnibus edition of Social Distance. <laughs> oh, it's a bit like um, Ronnie Corbett, isn't it? Yeah, good. Now, um, Jeremy Farrar was on Sophie Ridge this morning. And Jeremy Farrar is on the Sage. He's the director of the Wellcome Trust. And if you ever get into London, if maybe you live in London, but if you ever go to London, I don't know. It's the Wellcome. Um, is it called the Wellcome Trust? That thing, um, just opposite Euston Station. I think it is. Oh God, it's good that place, isn't it? Got a great cafe. Got lovely big rooms. Beautiful rooms. And it's really interesting place. So anyway, go there, please. And also, he um, just cleared up a couple of inconsistencies with the government's approach to this, you know, fucking global pandemic. So here he is. Yeah, I think that the, you're always stuck between an incredibly a, hard, a rock and a hard place. And uh, you either have to go very early and harder than you may think and more geographically uh, dispersed than you may think, or you go incrementally one week after another or one fortnight after another to try and introduce the restrictions. I am in favour of going earlier. I think that when you go earlier, the restrictions can be less draconian and you can have a bigger impact on transmission and critically get that R value down to one and below one. That's what we've got to aim for. That's got to be the objective because without that, we go into November, December, January and we're going to see uh, major rises in uh, transmission in the community and hospitalizations. And um, talking to Michael Gove, he was pretty clear that he doesn't think that national restrictions, a circuit breaker, uh, is the right thing to do. Do you agree with him? I, I, I don't, uh, but uh, you know, I'm one of the scientific advisors on Sage. Our, our job uh, is to offer that advice. Politicians do need, and I, you know, I'm not a politician. I'm not affiliated with any party. They have an extraordinarily difficult job. Uh, they have to take everything into account. If you look at it from, I think, a health and economic perspective, I don't think these are separate. I think they're very aligned. I think the best way of reducing transmission uh, and getting the country back to where we were perhaps at the beginning of September and then making sure we have tests, track and isolate working properly. We have the NHS prepared and there are things coming along the horizon soon. The, I do believe the vaccines will be available in the first quarter of next year. I do believe that uh, monoclonal antibodies to treat patients and save lives will be available in the coming months. And it's with that context that I think we need to reduce transmission now and we need to get ourselves back, reset it at the beginning of September as a country, not uh, not in piecemeal, not, across, not in fragments across the country, but as a whole country, because transmission is going up across the whole country. It, it's worse in some parts, but there is no part of Britain now where R is not above one and community transmission is increasing. There we go, yeah, beautifully said, Jeremy. And uh, absolutely right. We have, uh, you know, as we keep saying every bloody episode, you know, it's going up everywhere, including the southwest and the southeast and everywhere else. And um, so a couple of things in that. Interesting that he said, you know, I'm a, a scientist uh, on Sage and I'm not affiliated with any party and they have a very difficult job. Those fucking Tories have got a very difficult job to balance, you know, what do we do in terms of saving people's lives? And also, on the other hand, 
keeping Tim Weatherspoons happy. Because that's basically what it comes down to. You know, remember that amazing clip I played on uh, Friday from Dan Carden up in uh, Liverpool? You know, he kind of uh, peeled off and exposed, peeled off the facade. Can you peel off a facade? Yes, of course you can. And exposed the corruption underneath basically, you know, most of what the government is doing in terms of financial, you know, siphoning off massive amounts of public money into the pockets of their friends and their fellow Tory MPs. So old Tim Witherspoons backs them during Brexit and they think, well, OK, Tim Witherspoons, we will keep your Witherspoons open, which is a branch of pubs, by the way, if you like not in Britain, you think, what the fuck is he talking about? It's loads and loads of these shit pubs that are really popular all across Britain. And they sell food. And even in tier three, you can, they're, they're still open. Even if, you, if, if anyone ever gets to tier three, adjoining Liverpool, which is, oh, I think Lancaster now is in there. Not Lancaster, Lancashire. Uh, probably including Lancaster is now in tier three as well. So, but, you know, you can still enjoy your fucking Witherspoons burger and pint. And, uh, you know, so this is exactly the kind of dilemma that Sausage Johnson is, you know, how do you keep Tim Witherspoons happy, for Christ's sake, but also saves lives? Jeremy Farrer says, well, you know, I don't give a fuck about Tim Witherspoons. I'm actually interested in getting on top of this uh, global pandemic. And, you know, obviously what you do if there is a circuit break, is that you use that time wisely to prepare and to, uh, you know, kind of get test, trace and isolate in shape, which of course is a fucking fantasy. It's never going to happen. But you'd like to say, you'd like to think it might happen. And another interesting thing as well is that he talked about, you know, uh, health and the economy is exactly the same thing, exactly the same side of the ledger. We'll talk about in a minute. Uh, Jacinda Ardern's incredible, like historic landslide in New Zealand over the last few days. And, um, you know, it's it's bizarre to see footage of, well, footage, like live images of New Zealanders like celebrating or commiserating or whatever the results. Most of them are celebrating, of course. Um, and they're not social distancing. You know, they're hugging, they're giving each other flowers, they're standing next to each other. It's like, what the fuck? It's like, this is the future. This is the future, you know? And what did they do? Well, they came down hard on the um, on the virus. But obviously also they supported people during that time, you know, in order to do a proper lockdown, which was effective. Not this like fucking ridiculous bullshit that we've got, whereby we think, oh, yeah, we're going to try it, somehow save money by letting the virus, by not eliminating the virus. That is not going to work. That is not going to work. So it's good that Farrar called that out. Now let's look at New Zealand because it was a really historical moment, historical. And of course you can't help think, well, God, like, are we on the precipice of a Biden victory like in a couple of weeks' time? I mean, if everything looks really good and it certainly appears that if, if nothing changes, then we could, well, he will win. There's no doubt about that. He could win substantially. Uh, but anyway, New Zealand, let's take a look. And over the next three years, there is much work to do. 
We will build back better from the COVID crisis. Better, stronger, with an answer to the many challenges New Zealand already faced. This is our opportunity to build an economy that works for everyone, to keep creating decent jobs, to upskill and train our people, to protect our environment and address our climate challenges, to take on poverty and inequality, to turn all of the uncertainty and hard times into cause for hope and optimism. It's an opportunity we have already grabbed and a plan we have laid out to invest in the infrastructure that sets us up for generations to come while creating thousands of jobs. New state homes to house the homeless. 100% renewable electricity generation. Free trades, training and interest-free loans for small businesses to expand and to thrive. Our plan is already in action and already working. But after this result, we have the mandate to accelerate our response and our recovery, and tomorrow we start. So there we go. So tomorrow we start. Um, very politician here, isn't she? <laughs> but outstanding result. I mean, absolutely extraordinary. In 1996, they changed the uh, configuration of their parliament to make sure that you could um, only govern with other parties. You could only form coalitions, right? And ever since 96, they've had coalitions, but they got 50% of the vote, Labour. So that means that they can now govern as a majority. It's incredible, absolutely astonishing result for Jacinda Ardern. No real surprise for anyone that doesn't know much about, you know, New Zealand politics. Obviously, the main thing we know about her is that, you know, her response to COVID-19 has probably been the best on the planet. I, I mean, let's just say definitely. Let's just say definitely. And of course, you know, before that, we knew that she was very empathetic. Uh, she moves quickly, you know, so after the um, Christchurch mosque terrorist incident. Um, she moved quickly to ban um, guns and she was, you know, incredibly empathetic in her response to that. And then obviously also she gave birth in while in office as well. So there's that kind of, whatever, that other side to her in terms of being like a normal person, you know, uh, which I suppose doesn't hurt if you're looking for people to vote for you. But I imagine that the vast majority of the new people that came to Labour, many, many, many new voters in New Zealand uh, voted for Labour, like for the first time, or for the first time in a long, long time, um, is because of the COVID-19 response. They have had 25 deaths, 25 deaths. It's absolutely extraordinary how effective her leadership has been. And, you know, like I was just saying, it's bizarre to see this, you know, footage coming over. From New Zealand, it's just like, you know, it, it, it reminds you of life a couple of years ago. Hopefully it will be life in a couple of years time in the UK, maybe even next year in the UK. Jeremy Farrar went on to talk about how he's pretty certain that there is going to be a, a vaccine 
um, you know, in the first quarter of next year, uh, so winter, as we like to call it, uh, January to, well, winter and spring, January to March. And um, also he was talking about the monoclonal um, antibody therapy that old Trumpy Wumpy was pumped with and Trumpy Wumpy Pumpy seemed to work for him. So there are kind of, you know, like glimmers of hope for the rest of us. <laughs> you know, even with Saucy Johnson in charge, there are glimmers of hope for the rest of us that we're going to get out of this fucking nightmare, you know, at some point, you know, as if uh, hopefully we will not catch it. You know, if we just keep walking between the raindrops, there is hope ahead. So congratulations to Jacinda Ardern. I would like to, uh, just like everyone, <laughs> like the Dalai Lama, for Christ's sake, you know you've you know you've um, scored big when the Dalai Lama is jumping on the bandwagon of saying, "Oh yeah, well done." Like, <laughs> so I would like to say I do have a listener in. I, I imagine it's um, Jacinda herself. Yeah, I mean you know. I'm going to take as much <laughs> out of this as possible. Anyway, I don't know how many listeners I've got in, the, in New Zealand, but I do have some. And um, anyway, it's really, really good news. Obviously, it has no connection at all to, to the United States, like, at all. But, um, you know, you can only fucking hope that we're going to get rid of Trump in a couple of days. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. So 26,800,000 plus people have already voted in the United States. It's extraordinary. And I was just reading that of the people that didn't vote in 2016, but are voting now in 2020, um, there's 5 million of those. Yep. And the Democrats are leading the Republicans by 15%. Um, it's, it is based on modelling because lots of people don't put down their, um, you know, kind of whether they're Democrat or Republican. But by, based on what we do know and extrapolating that, then the uh, Democrats are winning by 15% for the group of people that didn't vote in 2016 but are voting now. Also, what looks good is that on the night, Thursday, the, not Thursday, what the fuck am I talking about? Tuesday, the 3rd, Wednesday, the reason why I'm getting confused is because, of course, for us in Britain, it's Wednesday morning. And my um, researcher and various other people are trying to work out what the hell are we going to do, you know, because we've got to go to work, you know what I mean? Got to go to work the next day. But anyway, we're just trying to work out how we're going to watch it. So, um, right, on that night, uh, Texas and Florida and Ohio are all giving their results. If Florida wins, the chances are so because we're not going to know if Pennsylvania, for instance, for a couple of days, they don't get they don't even take the fucking mail uh, ballots out of the envelopes until the day of the election. So it takes a few days to count these yeah, in Pennsylvania and um, a couple of other swing states are, are like that. Yeah. But in Florida, we do know that they're going to count all of the, um, uh, you know, the votes cast up until Election Day. And then obviously the ones on Election Day and tell us all of the votes uh, on Election Night. Same for Ohio, same for Texas. Why does that matter? 
Well, because if he wins Florida, uh, Biden, then you can almost certainly guarantee that he's won uh, Pennsylvania, he's won Michigan, he's won Wisconsin. He only needs to win Pennsylvania, Wisconsin and Michigan. And they're much, much easier for him to win than Florida. So you can almost certainly guarantee, and Arizona as well, yeah? He doesn't need to win Arizona, but Arizona is in the bag. Florida is what I'm basing my kind of prediction of, oh, I'll get to that in a minute, but my predictions on is that Florida is the swing state, I think, in this election. If he wins Florida, then basically it means that he's got all four, Arizona, Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan and Wisconsin, but he, of course he doesn't need all four then if he's got Florida because Florida is such a big state. So even if he misses out on, say, Arizona, which I don't think he will, but even if he does, because he's got Florida, um, he's in the bag anyway. He's over 270 anyway. So it's brilliant that Florida counts the fucking votes. Texas as well. It is a long shot. I don't think he's going to get Texas. But they do count all their votes on the night. Now, um, 3,400,000 people have already voted in Texas. And 3,400,000 people have already voted in Florida. And the other one is Ohio, um, where they, where I don't think he's going to win Ohio. But again, we're going to know that result um, on the night of the election, yeah? But uh, anyway, one million voters in Ohio have already voted. Now, I took a look at the numbers and I realized that I hadn't really thought that much about North Carolina. And looking again at North Carolina, I now think that, the, that Biden will get North Carolina. It is close. It's definitely a swing state, but I think he will get it. 1.2 million people have already voted in North Carolina. And I think that Biden will sneak through there. It will be close, but I think Biden will get it. So with Biden getting North Carolina, that brings him up to 334 um, electoral votes. Um, so, uh, so that's good, isn't it? 334. He needs 270, obviously. And I think that brings uh, Trump down to 204, I think it is. Uh, 204. So it's looking a bit better um, for Biden. The Republican Party then are now, and you, we've seen this in the past, in past elections where it's obvious that somebody's going to lose. The uh, Republican Party, the people in there, are now starting to think, well, what does it mean for me? If I manage to kind of, you know, stay, like keep my fucking job with Trump, you know, heading the ticket, what does it mean for me? And there's this dude called Sass, He's full of fucking sass, this guy. Sass, he's a, a Republican in Nebraska. And sass got sassy on Trump's ass. <laughs> and um, that's good, isn't it? Like Dr. Seuss. Is it Dr. Seuss or Dr. Seuss? I think it might be Dr. Seuss. And everyone is saying Dr. Seuss. Fucking must make him, his blood fucking boil. Anyway, Dr. Seuss. And uh, sass said this. The way he kisses dictators' butts, it isn't just that he fails to lead our allies, it's that we, the United States now regularly sells out our allies under his leadership. The way he treats women and spends like a, a drunken sailor, he mocks um, evangelicals behind closed doors. So he was talking to a group of 
uh, supporters and, and um, you know, funders there. But there were loads and loads of them, like I think over a thousand people. So it wasn't really, it was private, but, you know, you don't say something like that to a thousand people without knowing it's going to get out. So people are now um, interpreting this as the first forays into, you know, putting his head above the parapet and saying, oh, look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm not Trump. I am in the Republican Party. You know, I'm a young guy just coming up, just coming up from fucking Nebraska. And, uh, you know, look at me, look at me, look at me. So people are thinking, well, maybe he'll run in 2024 so it's now like it never fucking ends do you know what i mean it's like it never ends and of course there are some people that have been ultra loyal to um trump like ted cruz for instance that fucking idiot cruz in texas who beat better o'rourke and and cruz like is looking that he's going to take up the trump mantle now it depends you know there's don't, you can't really do too much of this because obviously, you know, we, we don't have the fucking November the 3rd done yet. Do you know what I mean? But, you know, instinctually, you would say probably not a good idea to try to uh, be like a kind of Trump light. That, like, I don't think that's going to work for the vast majority of of the people that are trying to going to fucking elect you in four years time like if that's your plan is to be trump without being trump i'm not sure that's going to fly trump has only been this is like absolute historical anomaly it's never happened before in the history of polling um presidents in states trump only had one week where the majority of the voters um liked him more than disliked him yeah only one week the week after his inauguration in january um uh, 2017 yeah that week and i imagine the thing that then put off enough of them for it to dip under 50 and it's always been under 50 and for the vast majority of that time it's been way under 50 i imagine the thing that put them off was when he started to boast about the crowds do you remember that like right at the fucking beginning, he started to boast about, oh, my inauguration was the biggest, which was obviously like bollocks. <laughs> it was weird. So I think that probably put people off. And then, and the majority of people have never really been up for this guy. And of course, that's his whole thing is that, well, you just get the base out and hopefully there'll be, uh, you know, enough people that are kind of like, you know, well, that's his, his heart, his swing to the hard right, to the far right, kind of talks about that, doesn't it? It, it, it uh, illuminates that strategy of his as much as he has a strategy. Now, one other thing on that is that the last couple of days, people have been talking about a, an uptick, to, as Dom Raab would say, in uh, people registering... Uh, as Republicans in order to vote and kind of like, you know, letting it be known that you're a Republican. And, but there's no real surprise with that, yeah? The reason why that's not surprising is that the Democrats had a contested election, obviously, like last year and this year, to work out who their candidate to go up against Trump uh, was going to be. And they registered, you know, millions of people as part of that process. The Republicans didn't have that process this year because obviously 
Trump is the person that's, you know, going going for a second term. So on the face of it, it doesn't really mean that there's lots and lots of people there that have just been sitting around, like not wanting to vote. And uh, and now they're kind of going, oh, I do want to vote. Let's, you know, register a Republican and then vote. Um, in fact, we know now that, you know, of those people that didn't vote in 2016, uh, 15% more of them are Democrat than Republican. So there we go. So we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. Welcome to the Trend Report. Uh, I'm going to try and do this in one minute because we know what the trend is. It's bleeding bloody obvious. But I'm going to read out a uh, transcript of part of the um, press conference that the Director of General of the World Health Organization gave a couple of days ago. It goes like this. As the Northern Hemisphere winter approaches, cases of COVID-19 are rising globally, especially in Europe where countries are expanding measures to contain it. And many people are understandably weary of the disruption the pandemic is causing to their lives and livelihoods. Last week, the number of cases reported in Europe was almost three times higher than during the first peak in March. Although the number of deaths have reported, uh, the number of reported deaths in Europe last week is much lower than in March. Hospitalizations are increasing, and many cities are reporting they will reach their intensive care bed capacity in the coming weeks. And I would add to that, WHO Director General, that you know everything is going up, pal. Okay including the fucking deaths. Obviously, it's not as big as March. We're not comparing it to March, although you did compare something else to March. But it's all going up. All right, thanks a lot. There's the trend report. So there's no news yet of um, Great Manchester and um, Andy Burnham was on the um, 
TV this morning, uh, just explaining his position. And there's no contradiction in his position. Obviously, the government are trying to say, oh, well, hold on a minute. How come you don't want to go into tier three, but you're calling for a circuit breaker? Well, they're two totally different things, right? Totally different things. He doesn't mind about the idea of going into tier three if it would fucking work. But the deputy of chief medical officer, Jonathan Van Tam, is saying, well, it's not, it probably won't work. And if the government aren't going to stump up the cash to make sure that people don't lose their jobs and can actually, you know, pay the rent and buy food, do you know what I mean? Which has a fucking health implication, obviously, in itself. Then if they're not going to do that, then of course, why would you go into tier three? Doing like basically doing a big experiment. Um, great piece in the Manchester Evening um, Times. Is that what it's called? Manchester Evening News, of course. Uh, today, um, which is adorned with a photograph of graffiti on the wall, and the fo- and the graffiti says the North is not a petri dish. That sense that you know, well, we'll just fucking see what happens, and if people die, it doesn't matter because we're just a bunch of fucking Northerners. You know, what do we care? And uh, one thing that's uh, really kind of put a cat among the pigeons is that, to quote a Voss song, remember that? These 20 Tory MPs have written to the, the people in the North, the MPs in the North, saying, oh, go on, back the government, go on, back the government. And you're like, well, fucking fuck off. <laughs> like, how the hell is that going to work? It's unbelievable. There's been a big backlash against it with, obviously, like the people in the, the MPs in the North saying, don't fucking tell us how to do our jobs, pal. Like you're in fucking Norfolk, right? Stay in Norfolk, yeah? Don't tell us how to do our jobs. And also what's revealing about that, though, is that, you know, this is Cummings' plan to put pressure on um, the dude but he can only muster up 20 MPs. That is not good. They've got a majority of 80, for Christ's sake. They've got hundreds of MPs. And they can only muster up 20 MPs to put their name on this letter. So I think that the government's position is weak. I still think that it's only a matter of time, obviously, until they do do a circuit break. Uh, but unfortunately, they decided to put Michael Gove on the television today. Like, it's just not a good idea you know, if you if you want to give the, the the sense that you're interested in calming down the situation and compromising, then you don't put fucking Gove on, who just accused um, Andy Burnham of posturing and playing politics. What a fucking prick. There's another P for you, pal. A pricking pal. So uh, anyway, I'm going to call it a day. Now, let's see, what should we think of? Let's uh, think of a beautiful autumnal, it's very autumny, autumnal leaf. What's the most autumnal leaf? Is it the oak? What's it? Does the oak turn brown, the leaves of the oak? Do they turn that gorgeous autumn colour, you know, that kind of orangey, orange-browny colour? It's not really brown, it's more like orange, isn't it? Orange. Do, is that the oak that does that? Let's think of a gorgeous oak tree with lovely orange leaves. And some of them are falling off, you know, with the little wind comes in. Yeah, think of that. One, two, three. Walk between the raindrops. I didn't even mention Omnibus until just now. I see. It's worth listening to the show on the Sunday, isn't it? I need to get Omnibus out the title. But then what about the fucking song? Oh, how dramatic. Anyway. 
Take care. We've got a big week coming up next week, obviously, because every fucking week is big. No sense of, you know, <laughs> like calm or, um, you know, monotone in this in this life, eh? No. Uh, take care of yourselves. And thank you so much for listening. And see you later.